3: Newsmax host has uh, gone off on Joe Biden for giving his wife a dandelion. How dare he? He picked a dandelion from the lawn of the White House and handed it to Jill. Hey, here's a flower. And uh, over on this uh, so-called news network there, uh, is he promoting asthma? <laughs> it's like, really? I shared with you a couple days ago the story about these anti-maskers who showed up at the school to uh, encourage the children to refuse to wear masks and harass the teachers and wearing these signs, unmask the kids. The Arizona Daily Star reported on this. And at the time, we didn't have all the details, and I assumed that these were a few of these people were just like wackadoodle parents dropping off their kids and coming out with the signs, maybe something they'd organized on Facebook or whatever. Turns out none of these people even have kids in this school. And in fact, this, uh, you know, from Raw Story here, actually it's via the Arizona Daily Star, that the crowd made up of parents and others who had no ties to the district or even to Pima County refused to wear a mask inside the building as required. Some protesters yelled at staff while pushing past them. A few were even armed. The goal was to get the district to drop its mask mandate, and that's when they called the police. The sheriff's deputies responded. They couldn't get the growing crowd to leave, so they adjourned the meeting, and that was it. They uh, note, in recent months, anti-mask demonstrators have caused unrest around the country, both staging large-scale protests and getting into fights with individual businesses and employees. I'm telling you, there are several foreign countries that are feeding this kind of stuff into Facebook and other social media. And people are buying it. And they're thinking, you know, hey, we've got to go save our children or we've got to go you know, protect our liberties or whatever. And it's very, very unfortunate. Meanwhile, here in Oregon, there was a gathering of clergy, community, and uh, postal union leaders a couple of days ago. This was on April 28th, two days ago. Senators Wyden and Merkley and Representative Earl Blumenauer, who's my congressman, sent messages of appreciation for the workers, for the postal workers, and calls for the removal of Louis DeJoy. DeJoy released a 10-year plan, he calls it Delivering for America, which would cut post office hours, which would close mail processing plants, which would slow the mail, raise the price, and cut postal jobs. We've already lost to two postal facilities here in Oregon, and they want to close another one in in the town of Bend. There are 82 plants slated for closure. Another one is in Springfield, Oregon. We've already lost the ones in Salem, which is the state capital, and in Pendleton. This is crazy. Further erosion of postal services in the cards for rural post offices, which face hour reductions from eight to six to four to even two hours a day. And all of this is so at mark dimenstein the the president of the united postal workers union the american postal workers union he said this is a slap in the face he said this uh, this is a misguided strategy that not only disrupts the lives of postal workers but will further delay the mail he went on to say the agency successfully shuttered 141 plants in the first phase he said we will fight back facility by facility and community by community to save these processing plants And Congressman Bill Pascrell, the uh, Democrat from New Jersey, told the Washington Post, quote, the entire Postal Board of Governors and then Mr. DeJoy should be handed their walking papers. Amen. Two other stories I wanted to share with you very quickly. Uh, Rudy Giuliani and Ron Johnson were both notified. Now, this is not new news. This was in the news a year and a half, two years ago, that the FBI had told them that the information they were bringing back from Ukraine was disinformation coming from Ukrainian oligarchs and Russian oligarchs specifically to damage Hillary Clinton because they didn't like her. They wanted Donald Trump to be president. Rudy Giuliani and Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin went over there anyway, gathered that information anyway, brought it back to the United States and distributed it all over the news, which, by the way, is a crime if you are working for a foreign government. I think this is one of the things they're looking into with Giuliani is was he being paid by one of these oligarchs? over there. With Ron Johnson, it's probably just, hey, you know, I'm not sure there's a law against stupid. If there is, he should be in jail for a good long time, but I don't think there is a law. Three stories here that seemingly are all separate stories, but I think they're all the same story in a very real way. Uh, The first is a diary from Portland True Blue over at uh, Daily Co's, presumably somebody from Portland, who says, I came back two days early because my ECMO patient, uh, this is somebody who's Basically, living on a, something very close to a respirator, was not going to make it. All the medical options have been exhausted. His lungs will not heal enough to support life, and a transport is not an option. He realized he's not getting better. He's dying. This is somebody who has COVID. He met with a palliative, a palliative care team and a priest. He requested that his life support be withdrawn. His family has been here the last three days. His only request was that he wanted to say goodbye to his nurses. Thus, this person went, you know, took off. Came back two days early to work we spoke privately about his life and death his journey's end his biggest worry was for his family but he was not afraid he thanked me as he held my hand there were tears in my eyes but not his never have i witnessed such courage and such faith i was not able to be there for the withdrawal of life support just not emotionally able a member of the palliative team withdrew his life support I feel such a sense of personal failure because at the end, my my courage and strength failed, leaving me unable to do my duty of final care. My grief and regret are fierce. He died peacefully and quickly this afternoon, surrounded by his family and received the last rites." So number one, this is happening all over the country right now. It's not happening as frequently. When Donald Trump left office, it was three or 4,000 people a day who were dying from COVID. Now we're down to a few hundred a day, you know, thank God, but we're still at a few hundred a day, number one. Number two, Joe Biden hasn't decided on requiring U.S. military members to get COVID vaccines. I think he needs to be doing this right away what say you? I think that he should be requiring all members of the military, and frankly, to the extent that he has the power to do it, all federal employees. If you want to be in the workplace, if you want to come back to work, if you want to interact with other human beings, you have to prove you've gotten vaccinated. And one of the reasons that I'm saying this, now this is a study that was done uh, it was published. It was just published in the medical journal Stroke. It was 132 centers in 36 countries. Most of this study was done before there were any vaccines. So keep that in mind. But this was all people who had COVID but didn't know it because they had no symptoms. Which is the kind of COVID that people are apparently. I, I, again, I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice and don't flip out about this. The odds, uh, once you're fully vaccinated, the odds of getting COVID and dying from it are less than the odds of dying in a car accident, right? The, your, your, your odds are really, really good if you're vaccinated. But still, some people get COVID, low, few symptoms, not enough to kill you or get you in the hospital, but very few symptoms even after they're vaccinated. Another reason to be very careful, particularly with these new variants around. But this is they looked at these people who had you know, this is a quote from the study. This is a Hebrew University professor, Rowan Lecker, uh, one of the 36 countries that participated in this 132 center study. Quote, surprisingly, many patients that we identified as having both coronavirus and a stroke did not present the typical clinical symptoms of coronavirus. Some 40% of them had no fever, no shortness of breath, no abdominal pain, no diarrhea, and so on. But because they were admitted to the hospital, they were routinely tested and we were able to identify them as virus carriers. Now, what happened to these people? They had strokes. Every single one of these patients that they're looking at were people who had strokes. And they went back and said, why did these seemingly healthy people, many of them in their 30s and 40s, why did these seemingly healthy people have strokes? When they were showing no symptoms of COVID or anything else, And it turns out the only variable that they could identify, and again, this is, they cannot prove causation here. This is correlation, but uh, I think it's, it's just the next step, is that they had COVID, low symptom COVID, and it was producing these strokes. He said, basically, the individuals younger than 55 had no risk factor other than COVID. The brain is one of the organs that the coronavirus targets, as well as the blood vessels in the brain, We believe that this disease may lead to local thrombosis. In other words, a local blood clot that is producing a stroke. Every day I get a COVID email from the state of Oregon, which tells me, you know, how many people were infected and what counties and how many people died and all this kind of thing. And in this email, they pointed out that real ID, which is where your driver's license has a little star in the corner that's kind of holographic and hard to fake, what that star means is that when your driver's license was issued the DMV also verified your citizenship and congress years ago in fact it might have been part of the Patriot Act it was one you know right right during that time toward the end of the Bush administration passed a law saying that you can't get on an airplane Unless, you know with a driver's license, unless that driver's license has, quote, real ID. In other words, it has that star on it to prove that you're a citizen. And if you're not a citizen, then you're going to have to bring your passport from the country that you're a citizen of. And Oregon, being Oregon, you know, having a bunch of crazed right-wingers and a few left-wingers who are kind of not all that happy with the establishment, said, screw it. <laughs> you know We're not going to do real ID here in Oregon. And we haven't. They literally just started it this week. And it was supposed to be last October. You couldn't get on an airplane without a driver's license with that little star on it. And you can't get them from the state of Oregon. Well, you can now starting this week, but you've got to go in in person. So they have... The state of Oregon has moved the real ID back to this week. and Now they're issuing them, but you've got to go in in person and get them. And as a consequence of that, the federal government has said, okay, we'll wait until 2023. So we'll give you another year and a half to get your real ID. So my point with this story is that simply by saying you have to have a star on your driver's license in order to get on a damn airplane, The federal government has basically, forced is probably the wrong word, encouraged, forced, whatever whatever word you want, has created a situation where virtually every American with a driver's license now also has proof of citizenship. So why can't we do that with vaccine passports? What if last night, instead of saying to the many Republicans who refuse to get vaccinated, but are willing to be tested, in order to get into this chamber, you have to be vaccinated or tested, which was the rule last night. What if instead they had said, screw that. In order to get in this chamber, you have to prove that you have been vaccinated at least two weeks from today. Your second vaccine was more than two weeks ago. That you're fully vaccinated. And nobody's going to wear masks because we are all fully vaccinated. And then when the cameras panned around the room, it would look like a normal room. And it would convey the message to Americans all across the country that occasionally, occasionally, it'll bleed through our media. Some little picture from New Zealand or Australia or Taiwan where people aren't wearing masks and they're like at a stadium or a sporting event or whatever. And they don't have to wear masks because they've got the virus under control and everybody's vaccinated, or at Israel where everybody's vaccinated, or at least Israel being an apartheid state, the non-Muslim part of Israel, the, the, the Jewish part of Israel. No masks, right? Things are back to normal. And if they could have done that and said, okay, and Lauren Boebert who brought a, you know the, how they put tinfoil hats on their heads? She brought a tinfoil bodysuit for her entire body, a space blanket. Honest to God, this is the kind of people that that Colorado is sending to the U.S. House of Representatives. But if she refuses to get vaccinated, just say, sorry, you're not going to go in there.
4: You're listening to the Tom Hartman program.
3: We need to get America vaccinated. And as long as the Republicans and their media continue promoting this anti-vaxxer stuff, we're in trouble. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple-glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Gretchen Whitmer, Michigan. The CDC is saying, okay, you've got an explosion of British variants sweeping across your state. It's killing people, particularly young people, people under 50, people under 40, people under 30, even in some cases. They're in the hospital, they're in the ICUs, they're being intubated, they're dying. Governor Whitmer is saying, hey, send me more vaccines. And the CDC is saying, we can send you all the vaccine in the world, but it's going to be two, three, four weeks Two-shot vaccines, it's going to be five or six weeks before the people that get vaccinated actually, you know, can contribute to herd immunity. What you need to do, Governor Whitmer, right now is just close the damn states, stop kids from going to school, close the restaurants, close the bars, close the bowling alleys, mandate masks statewide, and just do it. And Governor Whitmer, who had a group of men, conspiring to kidnap her, take her to Wisconsin, put her on a show trial on television and then execute her for crimes against the people because she had shut down the state and instituted a mask mandate is doing this deer in headlights routine. She's like, well, no, I'm not sure I want to mandate that again. And I mean, would you? This wasn't just a bunch of guys you know, sending nasty direct messages or text messages or emails or making phone calls, threatening her with death. I mean, that happens to pretty much everybody in the media. We gotta get used to it. These were actual guys who actually had a plan, who had rehearsed it, who had been out there. So you've got that. And then on top of that, you've got Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, also being blocked by the Michigan Supreme Court. You know, the legislature wasn't even the modern legislature. The Michigan legislature long ago gave a whole bunch of public health authority powers to the governor to do a lot of these things. She used them. The Republican leader of the Senate sued her and before the Michigan Supreme Court, which is dominated by conservatives. And the Michigan Supreme Court said, no, governor, you can't do that. Sorry. And she's like, but it'll save lives. And the the Michigan Supreme Court is like, hey, we're Republicans. Don't talk to us about saving lives unless they're not yet born. Then it's a big deal. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is people who are already born. And, you know, we're Republicans to hell with people who are already born. So anyhow, she's confronting this. There's an interesting piece in the Detroit News here about this. Uh, The GOP-led Senate blocked some of the governor's appointments and the Republican Majority House introduced an education funding bill tied to conditions that remove authority over school closures and student sports away from the governor. They are actually trying to change the laws in Michigan to make it harder for Gretchen Whitmer to actually play governor. That's how bad it is. How long do you think they're going to be able to pull this off? Do you think they're going to get away with it? carol in marshall minnesota hey carol what's on your mind today
0: we Mm -hmm. just had a small child in our community a first grader die from covid complications and no underlying health conditions so you know uh, the governor even spoke about it on the news last night very tragic but you know so people just need to understand this is it's terrifying for parents to have their children in school and things so that's all I had to say Tom but people just need to be more aware of that instead of spreading all that propaganda.
3: If you were knowledgeable about that and you're walking your kid down the street thinking of my grandson who's three years old and just you know he's got wonderful parents Mm -hmm. he assumes the world is filled with nice, friendly people, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I doubt he's ever encountered bizarre, hostile, mentally ill Republicans. And if somebody was to come up and start shouting at him that he should take his mask off because it's making them uncomfortable or it's scientifically unnecessary or yelling at his mother about that, that's a trauma, <laughs> you know? Yeah, Not yeah. to mention the fact I, that, I, as you point out, He's not immune. He's, it's very rare that a child that young would get sick from COVID and die, but it does happen. I'm so sorry to hear that the terrible situation of family and mourning in Minnesota. Oh, there was a guy on hold here who was saying, oh, Tom's a hypocrite. I was looking forward to taking that call. I actually appreciate it when people disagree with me. It always makes for an interesting conversation. And occasionally I learn things. Marilyn in Sun City, West Arizona. Hey, Marilyn, what's on your mind?
0: So you spent some time earlier this week talking about taxes and bootstraps, and I'm kind of an anomaly because I attend an evangelical fundamentalist church, and yet i have mm-hmm. zero conflict in holding my very conservative biblical values and being a very strong liberal progressive and i'm highly mm-hmm. loved and respected in my church and yet on the opposite political spectrum so when the evils of big government and anti welfare and anti taxes and bootstrap theory comes up i'd like your opinion on my answer which pretty much leaves them speechless i believe that the reason big government has undertaken to look after the poor the disabled the widows downtrodden, hungry, sick, whatever, is a very sad commentary on the Church's quote-unquote voluntary giving. I believe that if every religious person, specifically the Christian right, did what they preach their Bible says and actually voluntarily gave their 10%, if they all did it, there would be more than enough money for all of these things and more. So really, the government undertaking this burden is only because you, my fellow church members, have failed in practicing what you preach and holding up your own biblical principles because somebody's got to do it. So we don't need to hate big government. We need to be thankful that the government has stepped up to the plate because the Christian church did not.
3: Wow. Well, there's a lot of truth to that, Marilyn. I would add a couple of data points to it and let you ponder how to weather or or to integrate this into your argument. Number one, the Mormon communities, particularly in uh, Idaho, Utah, and northern Arizona, are rigorous about enforcing 10% tithe, and they're also really good at caring for the poor among them. So there's your example of a Christian community taking all that seriously. That's the kind of upside of it, kind of religion basically doing it. The downside is that when you go to a Mormon tabernacle, to a Mormon church to get your food aid or when you reach out to the Mormons to get help, you get heavily evangelized. Whereas when you go to get food stamps or when you go to get help from the government, Nobody is standing there telling you which political party to vote for or you know how to think or how to believe or how to behave. And that's why I'm with James Madison on this. He, the first veto of his presidency, which I think would have been in 1809, was a bill that was passed by Congress. They wanted to pay for, up until that point, there had been this poor house that was established even before the United States. It was established under the Articles of Confederation in Washington, D.C. And George Washington, you know, signed legislation to pay for it. And it provided health care, housing, and food, and clothing to the poor people of Washington, D.C., specifically just the district. In 1809, as I recall, I might be a year off, it might have been 1810, Congress passed a law saying instead of us, Congress, giving this money to this poor house and supporting it, let's give the money to the local Presbyterian church. I'm pretty sure it was the Presbyterian church because that was Madison's church. Let's give this money to that church instead, and the church can run the program. And Madison vetoed that, saying that it would establish a precedent of giving to religious organizations what should be a civic function. So... I don't know if I've changed your thinking at all, Marilyn. I think your argument is a compelling one and certainly calls out the hypocrisy in a lot of these churches that are far more interested in building fancy buildings and getting, you know, $30 million jets for their preachers than feeding the poor. But what do you think about all that?
0: I think you're absolutely right. I just need to call them out on their own level playing field. Do you understand what I mean?
3: I absolutely do. I absolutely do and and this is where you know i mean just just reciting matthew 25 to these folks you know it's it's shocking to me how many people who call themselves christians who have never seriously read just two little pieces in matthew 5 6 7 you know the sermon on the mount matthew 25 i think it starts with the 31st verse which is the only place in the bible where the disciples come to jesus and say how do we get to heaven to hang out with you And he said, well, you know, if you gave me water when I was thirsty, you can hang out with me. And they're all freaked out. They're like, we never saw you thirsty. And then he says, as you did to the least among the, you know, and food and health care and all that kind of stuff.
0: And and my point to them is mostly that I understand their point on volunteer giving, and that's all fine, but you're not doing it. If you were doing it and you really believed in it, we wouldn't be in this situation. But because you have chosen not to do it, the government has.
3: Yeah, I think it's a marvelous argument, and I didn't mean to argue nuance with you, Merlin. I just wanted to, to add a little more data that you may or may not find useful. And also, my experience has been that the Seventh-day Adventist community is, is about as tight as the Mormon community is as well. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And the Seventh-day Adventists are vegetarians. Brad in Prattville, Alabama. Hey, Brad, what's on your mind? Hey so my question for you Tom is how does anybody
4: run a multi billion dollar news organization news in quotes of course they have no major advertisers they sell pillows walk in tubs and catheters my thought is they're probably like money from news? somewhere absolutely i didn't want to say it um i didn't know if i'd get banned yeah. for saying it <laughs> <They're> not, <laughs> I'm a dirty sorry. word around here <laughs> But the you know, how do you how do you run how do you run a news corporation like that or uh, a media corporation when you have no legitimate advertisers? People are talking about boycotting, but who are we going to boycott? You know, are they getting money to push an agenda from these? I don't know if you call them PAC organizations or oil
3: billionaires and people like that to push. No, it's agenda it's not then? that it's not that devious. It's pretty straightforward. When cable providers. When for-profit cable, this is not true of non-profit cable providers like PBS or Free Speech TV, but when for-profit cable providers provide content to cable networks, the cable networks pay them for that content, and they pay them per month per subscriber. So, I don't recall the exact number, it's been four or five years since I've read a really, there was a really good Roundup article about this in, in, as I recall, the New York Times four or five years ago. But let's say it's a dollar a subscriber. So if you've got 100 million people who have cable TV, every year each one of those cable TV companies has to give $1 for each subscriber to Fox News, then Fox News makes 100 million bucks. They make more money off their cable TV fees than they do off their advertising. Um, or at least that was the case when I read this article several years ago. And it's why I reached out to the company that I get my cable TV from, which is uh, Sling, you know, th- which is owned by TV, and said, can you simply remove Fox altogether from my system? It's not that I, I don't watch them. It's that I don't even want them there because I don't want you to have to be taking $1 out of my 40 bucks a month for my Sling subscription to give to Fox. And their response was, we have no control over that. The contract requires us to pay those fees to everybody that's on there, and we can't you know, selectively do that. Or words to that effect. So that's how they do it, and told them the same,
4: Yeah, if more people called in and told them the same thing, they might catch the drift. I know you got a lot of truck drivers that listen to your program, and I'm one that travels for work. And I mm. kept having the problem of missing half the show, missing half the show. About a month ago, I downloaded the Tom Hartman app, and it is a lifesaver. I can listen to the entire show in about an hour and a half. And, you know, thank sometimes you. I listen to That's it the great. next day. On Fridays, I don't work, so I'm watching on free speech today. But I'm telling you, the Tom Hartman app, plug it for the truck drivers out there or the people that work during the day that may, may not be able to listen to the whole show. It's a wonderful
3: app. It's well, such well a lifesaver thank you, and I appreciate it. I yeah, appreciate right. that, and, and it's and it's there. It's free. It's uh, you know ads don't pop up on it. It is uh, you know it's just it's something that we put together. There's both an, an Android and an Apple version, and uh, just so people could more easily listen to the show, or for our podcast subscribers, so that they could easily grab the podcast, where we've stripped out the commercials and things like that. So the other app, by the way, it looks to me like you're listening on SiriusXM. SiriusXM has an app that carries our show as well. There's a bunch of different ways to get the program. You can even say to your smart speaker, listen to the Tom Hartman program, and and it'll play up. Brad, thank you. Thanks for the plug. That was very considerate of you. I'm not trying to encourage that from anybody else. Please don't feel any need to do that, but thank you for mentioning that. So I want to talk about Republican bullying for a moment. I have often said that I think that the largest danger within the Republican Party is not their racism, is not their corporatism, is not their fealty to uh, their loyalty to figurehead as it were although it's it's a dimension of that it's their authoritarianism it's their being bullies or their being the kind of people who are intimidated by bullies and that helps define their identity joe biden spoke to transgender kids in the United States. This was one of the most, I thought, one of the most important parts of his speech. To the LGBT community and to these trans kids, he said, your president has your back. I mean, that's like, that's mind boggling. And yet, the day before in Arkansas, this story was published Megan Ellis. Alternate. The concerned father of a transgender teen in Arkansas was arrested while testifying in opposition to that state's anti-transgender health care bill. His name is Craig Attick. He's 49. Numerous right-wingers had spoken in favor of this bill. It's called the Arkansas Save Adolescents from Experiments Act, SAFE Act, and it bans health care for minors that has to do with gender dysphoria or gender, gender affirming healthcare is how it's referred to as. And numerous right-wingers had spoken, everybody was given two minutes to talk. Numerous right-wingers had taken two and a half minutes, three minutes, three and a half minutes. They'd gone on rants, nobody said anything. Occasionally they said, you know, your two minutes is up and then they'll let them talk for a while. This guy had a prepared speech. He had prepared it down to two minutes. But, you know, sometimes when you give a prepared speech, you pause or you emphasize or you restate something because, hey, you know, it's a prepared speech and you want to make it seem more contemporaneous or extemporaneous. And so he was, at the end of his two minutes, he had 30 seconds to go in his prepared remarks. And by the way, everybody had a copy of the prepared remarks. They knew it was 30 seconds. And the Republican chairperson said, your time is up. That's it. And he said, speaking to the trans kids out there in Arkansas, he said, no matter what happens here today, you are loved. You are loved. And State Representative Jack Ladyman said, your time is up. And he tried to finish that sentence. You know, you are loved. We are here with you. They, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And what they did was they they lifted him out of his seat and they put handcuffs on him and they hauled him out of the room. And during an interview with them.us, he said it was just shocking sitting there in jail thinking that this is what happens when you speak to people about how their proposed lives are affecting your children. He's the parent of a transgender child. He said they don't want to hear it. They put you in jail. He said, whether or not these laws are targeted at somebody above or below the age of 18, the singular message they are sending is that it is okay to bully and persecute people who are trans. It says, hey, the legislature is doing it. Why can't I? And it's absolutely right. I mean, this is the brand of the Republican Party now. Bully. Being bullies. They are bullies toward women. Oh, you want to get an abortion? (laughs) Ha, 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 you know, plan on spending the rest of your life in jail. And down in Texas, we're going to give you the death penalty. You're not a normal straight man or woman. We're going to bully you. We're going to make life miserable for you. We're going to, you know, our Supreme Court is going to say that they don't have to bake a cake for your wedding or take pictures. You're a person of color. Oh, we have a whole different set of standards when it comes to policing people of color in the United States. And at the core of every single one of these things, and I could go on, I mean, the, the list goes on, at the core of every single one of them is this idea that bullying is a core value for the GOP. Donald Trump Jr. wrote an entire book about owning the libs. In other words, how to be a bully, how to hurt people's feelings, how to irritate people, how to upset people, how to get away with it, how to do it legally, how to do it elegantly, how to do it in ways that are really funny. You know, you've got these pickup trucks now where they've, they've uh, rerouted a little bit of oil directly into the carburetor and you can just push a button or stomp on the gas in a particular way. And that oil gets right into the, to the gasoline mixture and, and an enormous cloud of smoke comes out the tail end. And so they'll pull in front of a Prius or, you know, some other or an electric car on the freeway and then just, you know, push the button. And suddenly the person behind them is, is covered in this cloud of stinky, poisonous, cancer-causing smoke. And they think this is funny. They're out with their giant Trump flag, you know, pulling over the bus that had Kamala Harris in it to go to a, to a Harris-Biden rally down in Texas. And Donald Trump goes on Twitter and, you know, with a picture of it and says, hey, hey, do more of this. And sure enough, they did more of that. He told the police, Trump told the police, the Police Chiefs Association, hey, when you're dealing with somebody that you suspect uh, being a criminal now. Keep in mind, from the founding of our republic, based on the abuses of the old British system, from the founding of our republic, the idea has been that you are innocent until proven guilty. And it's the job of the the government to prove your guilt. You don't have to prove your innocence, which is quite different from the Napoleonic Code, but that's a whole other conversation. But that's been our fundamental premise from the beginning that you're innocent. And so Donald Trump is saying to the chiefs of police, take these innocent people, or potentially innocent people, or some percentage of them at least are gonna be innocent people, and beat the crap out of them, rough them up. You know, you don't have to put your hand on their head so that they don't bang their head on the top of the car. Give them a good bruise. You know, a, a, a little traumatic brain injury won't be bad. Somebody out in the crowd beats somebody up who's got an anti Trump poster, and, and what does Trump say? I'll pay your legal fees. Knock him down. Remember this? This is now their brand. The governor of what, Oklahoma, I think, Giant Forte or Gigan Forti, however you say his name, he made his chops. What made him famous, he went from being an obscure member of the House of Representatives to becoming the governor. Because he said to a reporter, I'm going to break you physically in the Capitol building and they were near the railing. Like, I'm going to throw you over this railing. I'm going to harm you. This is their brand. I am convinced that authoritarianism is the most dangerous aspect of the Republican Party and of the conservative movement. I think it is the foundation, frankly, of their racism and their misogyny. What say you? Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery,
3: Dave in Federal Way, Washington, listening on SiriusXM. Hey, Dave, what's up?
1: Hey, Tom, I just want to say about January 6th in the Miller memo, you are 100% right. All right, and I'm going to try to convince you. I mean, I understand why you have your doubts, but I'm going to try to convince you, okay? The fate of this democracy was in the hands of Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I don't particularly like Milley, but he knew one thing, and that me and him agree on one thing. Mike Flynn is a flake. All right, Millie was not going to risk this. Union, he's not just a flake; he's a
3: foreign agent. He took six hundred thousand dollars from Turkey and tried to change U.S. policy while he was in office, while he was the National Security Advisor. Yes, but I, I just know Millie believes knows the
1: truth. Flynn is a flake, yeah. All right. All right? And and so he wasn't going to risk it now. Uh, Millie disagreed with um, with President Biden over withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan, okay? Now, let me mm-hmm. explain this. I nobody wants troops out of Afghanistan more than me. The eighteen worst months of my life were spent in Kandahar, Afghanistan. all right? Nobody yeah. wants this out more than me. But there's something bigger here. We got a problem. Joe Biden truly respects, he does not agree, but he respects the 70 million Trump voters, okay? And our problem is simply this. We have a von Poppen, uh, Franz von Poppen, said he could control Hitler, all right? If you ever look at their resumes, compare Poppins to Hitler's. Of course, any reasonable German would agree with von Poppen. I mean, his resume was quite impressive. Hitler's was nothing by comparison, okay? But here's what Hitler knew. Hitler knew that nobody was interested in going back to sanity and normalcy. That's what Hitler knew. And this is what Trump and the Trump voters know. And I think Joe Biden's making a mistake by by trying to reach out to him.
3: Uh, yeah. we need. To I'm not yet not sure so how much he's trying to reach out to them versus he's just trying to establish a record so that when he does things unilaterally, essentially, he can say, I tried. I tried everything I could. They wouldn't go along with me. Um, I, I'm more inclined to think that's the game he's playing, but we'll see. Listen to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio
4: and video archives.
3: I mean, I've heard him at least twice now in public venues redefine bipartisanship as the Republican people are with me, even if the elected officials aren't. Uh, boy, some of the some of the stuff that's going on, this is pretty amazing. There's a pro-Trump convention just happened. This uh, The Daily Beast is reporting about this, Will Sumner. It's called the Health and Freedom Conference. It was in Oklahoma, a bunch of Trump supporters. Jim... Caviziel is apparently an actor and he spoke there and he was uh, talking about global elites harvesting children's adrenal glands so they can maintain their youthful appearance and then Trump loving attorney Lynn Wood went on this crazed rant about elites torturing children to harvest their chemicals and then saying that these elites should be put in front of a firing squad this is just bizarre The reporter says there's a sense from these people that QAnon is very real, and most importantly, what they've learned from QAnon is real. In fact, they even pitched that, remember that ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal? That it was filled with children that Hillary Clinton was planning to eat. Not making this up. This was a pro-Trump convention in Oklahoma last week where they are selling this stuff. This is how sad it has gotten let's try Frank in Detroit. Frank, you are on the air. With respect to your topic, you know, it seems to me in order to to
5: counteract this, the first thing we need to do is stop giving people legitimacy when they make arguments about how we did not suffer an insurrection. We waste a lot of time arguing with them. Mm -hmm. They know they're wrong. It's not like they're you know, mistakenly misled. They know what they're doing. That's that's the first thing. Secondly, we need to do something about it. Instead of wasting our time arguing and presenting counterpoints to people that say Trump is not a racist, for instance, we need to coordinate, we need to organize, and we need to effect change. Even if it means shutting down Washington, D.C., until we have this issue prosecuted, one thing I learned from growing up in a very tough neighborhood is the only thing that a bully understands is a bloody nose. They will not stop until they achieve <laughs> you go. their goal, unless we make them mm-hmm. stop.
3: absolutely agree with you, Frank. My concern is that all these calls for a commission will cause people to think that something's being done and it'll water it all down. I'm all in favor of congressional committees. There is a congressional committee specifically formed to look into January 6th. They've already started their activities. They've already come out with some fairly shocking reports. And there's more coming down the road after that. That needs to be done. But setting up a commission and saying, "Okay, we're going to set everything aside and we're going to wait for a bunch of Republicans and Democrats to tell us what happened. When the Republicans, the majority of the Republican Party, at least in Washington, D.C., is still in on this with Trump, I think is a huge mistake. I completely agree with you. Bob in San Luis, uh, Opispo, California. Bob, you're on the air. What's up? There should be a uh,
5: congressional committee or two to look into the January 6th insurrection. But I would hmm. preface it on the idea that any member of Congress who voted to overturn the results of the Electoral College
3: ballots needs to be exempt from serving on those committees. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll give you that. Not exempt, barred. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But I'm not sure that, you know, I mean, you've got Liz Cheney speaking out against Trump but she's still supportive of voter suppression legislation. You got Mitt Romney voting, you know, speaking out against Trump, but he's also supportive of voter suppression legislation. These guys are looking at the demographic changes in America and saying, you know, this is not going to be a white man's country anymore 20, 30, 40 years down the road from now, and they're willing to throw the ideals on which this country was founded obviously terribly and perfectly acted out. But nonetheless, they're willing to take that idea, that seminal idea of democracy in a republic, you know, the will of the people and all that kind of stuff, and just throw it in the toilet. Bob, I am with you. It's just a crime. Eileen in Jersey City, New Jersey. Hey, Eileen, what's up?
0: What we should do about people that say that the January insurrection was really caused by Antifa and Black Lives Matter and I was right. thinking maybe we should just bow to the absurd and say that whenever we see, whenever they show pictures or video of the protest in Portland, Oregon, we should just say, well, those are fake Black Lives Matter and <laughs> and, and fake Antifa. I mean, at this point maybe we should just well, some some to say that.
3: <laughs> I mean, some of them are. You've got it seems like, you know, one of the there was an interesting op ed that was published in the Oregonian about two weeks ago by a black group here in Portland. You know, a, a group of black organizers who were saying to the anarchists, to the people who just want to tear the government down, period, and start over again and thus are out, you know, busting windows and, and, and things like that. You are not helping the cause. Right. That was the message. So right. uh, there are there are fake anti-fascists out there and there are fake Black Lives Matter folks out there, sadly, you know, uh, tragically. And uh, yeah. and this is not unique to Portland, by the way. But yeah. and in fact, you know, some of them were the were the groups that basically took down the old Occupy movement. You know, the Occupy movement was was infiltrated and then taken down in large part by, you know, these cult members out of New York, uh, you know, from from. Uh, the the so-called revolutionary communist party Um, most of this is like nuance that's way beyond anybody else's mind but but i get what you're saying eileen you know as long as they're gonna i i'm I'm reluctant to fight a lie with a lie but i totally get what you're saying i mean it's just it, it is so absurd eileen thanks a lot for the call it's great to hear from you william in seattle listening on kbcs hey william what's on your mind today
2: You were talking earlier about vetting process for uh, police officers. What about uh, for politicians uh, also?
3: That sounds like a plan. Um, The the problem is that we don't, uh, you know, institutionally, governmentally hire politicians. Politicians are selected by the voters. So uh, outside of uh, basic qualifications, you know, age or citizenship, it's... uh, I I think it would probably be unconstitutional to put any other kind of qualifications on who can run for public office.
2: Yeah, but it's been found that some of these people have been members of some of the hate groups.
3: Well, and, and they need to be outed for that. I mean, you know, although sometimes it works to their advantage. Steve Scalise got elected, you know, down in Louisiana. He's the number two Republican now in the House of Representatives by saying that he was David Duke without the baggage, you know hey, I don't yeah, wear a hood. Uh, yeah. So just vote for me. Right. But, yeah, you know, that's Louisiana politics, that, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's frightening that they make the laws and then, yeah, but then they're not held accountable. Yeah. And I'm just wondering about the former uh, guy that's opposed as a president for the last four years. You know, all the damage that he has caused, all the deaths that are attributed to him with the COVID virus and all of his crimes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how is it possible that they don't, again, I just don't understand how they don't get accused of
3: crime? Well, we're three months into this new administration, and uh, there are still a number of Trump holdovers in a, a bunch of agencies. I mean, you know, you, you got Trump guys running the Social Security Administration, which is why checks are going out late to people. Uh, you know, because right. they're trying to sabotage that. You got, you got a Trump guy running the post office, and that's why your mail is going slow, because he's trying to sabotage that. It's going to take them a while to flush these people out. And and, and yeah. also, you know, you had a Trump guy running the Washington, D.C. office of the, uh, uh, you know, of the uh, the federal attorney, the, the U.S. Attorney's Office, which is responsible for prosecuting the people who tried to commit treason and bring down our republic on January 6th. And that seems to be uh-huh. problematic, you know, I'm hopeful that Merrick Garland has a, a lot more steel in his spine than he seems. He, he comes across as a soft-spoken guy. His uh, parents escaped the Holocaust. He's a solid guy. I have a lot of—and as a federal judge, he had a, just an extraordinary record— he would have made a great yeah, Supreme Court agree. justice. Yes.
2: But, yeah, but I, I think as, a as attorney one.
3: general, I don't think he's going to be putting up with this very much longer. And, and you know, they've got some serious housekeeping to do, house cleaning to do. There's a lot of stuff that's left over that hasn't, you know, like, for example, the Mueller report was written by Mueller to not be redacted. It, you know, everything in it, he figured, should be made public. I still haven't seen right. the public version of it. I don't think any of us have. We would like to see, you know, yeah. what was going on. Yeah. Cheney. This is fascinating. We were speaking about Republicans just a minute ago. Will the Republican Party reinvent itself or is David Jolly's brand new party going to be the thing? Frankly, you know, all due respect to David Jolly. And I know he's been through the ringer and he's made you know, a few substantial alterations in his own worldview. But here's an actual Republican who's in Congress, who is on the receiving end of Matt Gates and Donald Trump's vitriol. And it's being called a rhino, you know, Republican in name only. And that's Liz Cheney. All the buzz was, uh, oh, my God, Marjorie Taylor Greene, or Marjorie Trader Greene, as they like to call her, raised $3.2 million in the first quarter of the year, which is a mind-boggling amount of money. Typical freshman typically raises around a half a million, maybe a quarter million bucks in their first quarter. Well, Liz Cheney raised $1.5 Remarkable. Meanwhile, Gretchen Whitmer, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, says she will not cede her emergency powers to the legislature. This has been going on for a while, by the way, that the Republican led Senate in Michigan tried to block her political appointees. What they were holding hostage was an education funding bill. What they wanted in that funding bill was that she could no longer close schools. And then you get the uh, state Supreme Court on board on October 2nd. This is uh, last year. The governor began issuing similar epidemic orders through the Department of Health and Human Services to kind of get around this. She said, it's really hard to have a thoughtful conversation about the work that we need to do as a state and to keep people safe if we're not operating off of facts. And what she's talking about is the Republicans saying, eh, it's just like the flu. It's no big deal. Just go out and get sick. You know, why worry? Be happy. And my question to you is, how long is this gonna last? I'm watching a Republican party that has basically two groups that are still hanging on to it. It has the Koch network and affiliated right-wing billionaire groups that pour massive amounts of money into it. The Koch network itself has more employees and a bigger budget than the RNC. So really, you know, they could rebrand themselves as the RNC, except I think they're a little upset with Donald Trump, too, although they certainly helped him get reelected, even though they didn't put money into his personal pile, all the money that they spent, the the hundreds of millions of dollars that they spent, over $800 million in in the last election went to Republican candidates down ticket. And of course, if you can get somebody to get out of their house and go vote for John Cornyn or for Rand Paul or for whoever it may be, they're going to pull the button for the guy at the top of the ticket too. So if you can get Republicans out to vote, which is what they did, then you're you're helping elect Donald Trump. Will the Republican Party go down in flames? I mean, or will it successfully turn into a fascist party. I'm increasingly thinking it's not going to become a moderate party again. Now, there is one scenario that I can see where the Republican Party actually does become a moderate party, and that's where they lose so badly in 2022 that they lose several of the states that they thought they had. The purple states go blue. The blue states get bluer. The red states start turning purple. And at that point, the Republican Party is so completely out of power that they basically just can't do anything else. They just have to say, you know, okay, sorry, we're we're out of power. We can't do anything. uh, You know, and now now there's a space for another party to come in. You know, John Anderson came in when there was there was a kind of a gap in both parties, but, but, you know, particularly the Republican Party back in the day with kind of a centrist Democrat pitch. You had Ralph Nader, When the Democratic Party was kind of waffling after Bill Clinton's presidency, after he gave in to the Republicans over and over and over again, this is back when Democrats thought that's what they had to do. Joe Biden has thankfully learned the lesson that that's not necessary. I frankly am very skeptical about third parties and third party efforts. But I do see the Republican Party going these one of three ways. Either it crashes and burns, and that's the end of it, like the Whigs in the 1820s or it crashes and burns and what comes out of that is people like Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney take it over and it goes back to being basically the party of war hawks and deficit hawks and you know big corporations, but not opposed to democracy itself. Willing to fight the good fight, but not openly fascist. Or the third option is that the Republican Party prevails. That they get a big shot in the arm, that they get big help from foreign oligarchs or from, you know, American oligarchs. And suddenly the GOP is once again a force to deal with in Congress. Which direction do you think it's going to go? Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's up? Last week we
6: talked about the tendency of Republicans to give us a recession every time they get a first term, and it's 100%. Mm -hmm and one of your callers talked about it appears that republicans were harvesting the wealth of america whenever yes. they give these recessions by giving big tax cuts to the rich and then belling them out of the recession basically what they're doing is is just expanding the difference between the rich and the poor wealth gap
3: yeah uh, and i think and, the biggest part of it larry is that the recession is a massive buying opportunity for very wealthy people to acquire assets that then increase in value very rapidly as the recession ends, whether it's stocks yeah, but, or real uh, estate or whatever. In, in,
6: recent, in recent recessions, what, what the government does is it actually makes these wealthy investors whole again, which is what I call uh, reparations for the rich. They repair the damage that they did to the economy by uh, making these wealthy uh, investors whole again. You had a guy, Dr. Frank, talking about willful ignorance of Republicans and why they keep supporting the Republicans who, who do them harm, which is kind of pick on what I was talking about when I also said that the Republicans, when they're doing this stuff, they're just ignorant. They refuse to learn that the policies that they put in place cause these recessions. And they get away with doing this by always jumping to culture wars. What I am proposing is Democrats and progressives should make the Republicans own their history. Eleven recessions in the last 68 years, 18 recessions in the last 120 years. Make them own it.
3: Bring it up every time they get on TV and radio. I'm with you, Larry. I'm with you. Larry, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holley, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Netherkitt, Patrick Hoyt, and Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Frost, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, and Jay LeBlanc. Thank you all for helping make this program work. Thank you for being with us and for spreading the good word and for supporting our program and supporting however you're hearing or seeing this program. Please do that. Let them know that you're listening or paying attention. Been
4: listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader.